Okay, so let's start with a word of prayer <clears throat> in Jesus' name. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful for today. We thank you for the um, opportunity to gather together to um, study your word and to be fed by your spirit. Dear Lord, we open our hearts to you. We ask that you speak to us, um, communicate your truth to us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you lead us into the experience of this truth in the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you for everyone that is present and those that are yet to join us and even those who listen to um, this um, via the podcast or on our YouTube channel or through any other um, medium. We ask, Father, that you speak to their hearts expressly and let the presence of your spirit be, be um, upon them in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Amen, amen, amen. Like I normally would begin with, um, did anyone get the chance to listen to our podcast or watch um, our video on YouTube? Anybody? Anyone? Uh, was anyone able to do that? So just give me a thumbs up or drop it in chat. All right. Um, so I typically start off with these just to know, again, just to know how much we're interacting with our, um, with our channels. All right. Okay. So please drop in chat if you if you listen to the podcast or you watch the video on YouTube. Just let us know. All right. So like we put out there and like we can see on the screen today we are talking about um, giving. All right. We're looking at the practice of giving, and that's what we are, our conversation will be about um, today. Um, also to state state that this is the last of the series um, spiritual exercise. So. We've had spiritual exercise running for about two months now, I believe. Yeah, about two months. Um, so, but this is the last of, of the series. And um, like I explained in previous previous Bible study sessions, that there are four things Jesus, there are three things, sorry, Jesus Christ said, um, Jesus Christ indicated a compulsory for a believer. And he used the he uses the phrase when, all right to describe those things. He says, when you fast, when you give, when you pray, meaning for a believer, it is not optional. These things are core practices in our Christian faith. And what that suggests to us is that if we practice these things, then we would grow in our faith and in our work with God, all right? So we looked at prayer, we've looked at fasting, and I want us to look at giving today. Praise God. Okay, so to begin with, let us Read the scripture that has been our anchor scripture for some weeks now. Matthew chapter 6, we will read verse 1 to verse 4. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 to 4. Please someone read for us if you are there. Matthew chapter 6, from verse 1 to verse 4. Please read if you are there. If you have the Passion Translation, um, I please read for us. If you have a question translation, I would like to hear you read. Um, let me try and open that in case no one has it. Anyone there, please go ahead. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 to 6. All right, let me read then. So it says here, I'm reading from the Passion Translation again. It says, examine your motives to make sure you are not showing off when you do your good deeds. So Jesus Christ was pointing our, our attention to the motives here, right? And he goes on to read that only, sorry, let, let me take that from the beginning. Examine your motives to make sure you are not showing off when you 
do your good deeds only to be admired by others. Otherwise, you will lose the reward of your heavenly father. Verse 2 says, so when you give to the poor, do not announce it and make a show of it just to be seen by people, like the hypocrites in the streets and in the marketplace. They're already, they've already received their reward. So just because I was saying that, first of all, you need to examine your motives for doing good, all right? Your motives for, for being generous, your motives for being, um, for being benevolent. And you see, this is why it is a bit, it's a bit difficult to determine people's motives from the actions because the actions may look the same on, on the outside, but the motives may be, um, may be different. For instance, I mean, in this day of social media, right? Um, someone, someone gives to a beggar on the streets and then the person records himself giving to the beggar on the street and uploads it on social media and say, you know, and gives a motivational quote that says something like, um, you know, there's nothing you have that you did not receive. So make sure you always give. And everybody heals the person and says, oh, yeah, 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 this person is a giver. This, I feel he's so inspired by what he just said right now. In fact, I just want to go out and give. Now, it is possible that his action may even inspire someone else to give, right? But the motive may not be genuine. The motive might be to increase um, incre increase acceptance on social media by, by revealing his generosity, all right? And someone else may give to, to a beggar as well, and then might not even be captured on, might not even be videoed or might not even, might, the act might not be recorded, um, but the person's motive is pure, right? And um, that is what Jesus Christ was focusing, was focusing on. And that's what Jesus Christ directs our attention to. He says, let your motive, always check your motives. Your motives for giving or for doing good shouldn't be for public acceptance, which was the same thing he said when we came to the, um, when we discussed fasting, and when we discussed um, prayer, so just Christ said, your motive for fasting, your motive for praying, and your motive for giving shouldn't be an outward recognition, all right? And Jesus Christ said that if you do it, you'll be doing like, if you do it for outward recognition, you'll be doing it like the Pharisees. And if the Bible says that they have received their reward already, meaning that person who, you know, takes pictures of his givings and records his, his, his acts of generosity just so that others can, just so that others can, um, can, you know, see him to be doing good and can applaud him. The Bible says that that person has already received his reward in heaven. Rather, received his reward from men on earth and that there will be no more reward from the heavenly father in heaven, okay? So just by saying, don't do it for outward publicity, all right? Now, verse three, we are reading from Matthew chapter six. We are at verse three currently reading from the Passion Translation. But when you demonstrate generosity, do it with pure motives and without drawing attention to yourself. Again, the emphasis Jesus Christ brings out here is the motive, okay? And this is something we need to learn with God. The Bible says that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart, meaning men can look at someone doing good, in quotes, and applaud the person and say, man, this person is a giver, this person is great. But God looks at the person's heart and say, this person is just trying to get publicity. He's trying to pull a, a PR stunt, a publicity stunt for himself. He's trying to increase you know, brand awareness. Probably this is one of the strategies. He's doing um, giveaway just so that people will like him and all of that. 
You know, the Bible says that if you if you do that, you've gotten you've already received your reward. And just Christ says, let your motive be let your motives be pure. Let me put a balance here that it is possible for you with a pure motive to still end up um, being for your actions to to end up being known by others. Okay, the fact that people know what know that you've done good is not where the problem is. The problem is when your when your motives are not pure. Meaning when your motive was for people to know you, then that is a problem. The problem is not if, you know, for instance, if you help someone one way or the other, people may get a wind of that, right? And it may, anybody can take it out there. Social media can talk about it, you know, all of that. But that is not a problem. The problem is when you intentionally do good so that people can recognize that you are doing good, meaning you are drawing attention to yourself. That's exactly what verse 3 says. It says, when you demonstrate generosity, do it with pure motives and without drawing attention to yourself, okay? And then verse 4 says, give secretly and your father who sees all you do will reward you openly. So again, we see the same pattern of, um, of practice that Jesus Christ explained um, when we talked about prayer and when we talked about fasting. And the pattern is this. Do it in secret, God reward you in the open. So when you give, he says, give in secret and he'll reward you, you in open. In fact, um, um, some translation says, don't let, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, okay? So that is the fundamental um, methodology of it. Give in secret and God himself will reward you. And before we move on, I just want to say here that just as with fasting and with prayer, giving also has a reward. So you don't give because you want a reward. However, giving has a reward, okay? Let me explain what I mean. You don't give because, you know, you know, you know how it is that some people say, um, uh, anyways, so you don't give because you want a reward, right? You give because of your love for God. You give in obedience to God. However, your giving attach, attracts a reward, okay? So again, this is still a question of your motive. If, for instance, I, I come to God and say, Ah, God, I'm giving, I'm giving this, um, this, I'm giving this one thousand dollars now, so that you give me ten thousand dollars. It becomes a game of of gamble. You know what you give, you now get. And I mean, in unfortunately, Christians, a lot of Christians practice this, right? Which is wrong. You know, when someone says, Okay, I want, I want, I want, um, I want a car, so I'm going to give this amount of money, so that God, in return, will give me a car. And clearly, it is not in obedience that means god is not directing you to do that and neither is is the giving even born out of love you are not giving that money because oh you probably saw someone in need and you are showing love to the person or you're probably giving to a charity or giving to a church or something that's not your motive your motive is just that you want a car so you found that maybe through some erroneous teaching that if you give god will give give you what you want so you now say ah let's let's do the math okay i want a car this car costs um, this car cost me $20,000. Okay, I'm going to give God $2,000 so that God will give me $20,000 in return. There is no trace of obedience. There's no trace of the leading of the Holy Spirit. There is no trace of love in your giving. You are only giving because of what you want to get. That is not um, accurate. That is not what the scriptures um, teach, all right? So having said that, however, every time that we give in response to obedience and in response to love, the Bible says that God himself will reward us, all right? So I just wanted to clarify that before we move on. Okay, so let's proceed. Um, <clears throat> now, 
So for today's Bible study, we're going to look at um, Abraham <clears throat> as our case study. And, um, you know, while I was preparing for this, this is what the Holy Spirit laid in my heart, to so just focus on the life of Abraham. And we're going to extract certain points that would be, um, you know, powerful indicators and lessons for us um, in today's Bible study. Okay, so <clears throat> Abraham is our, is our case study. And why are we looking at Abraham? If you read Isaiah chapter 51, verse 1 and 2, please read if you are there. Isaiah chapter 51, verse 1 and 2. Anybody there should please read for me. Isaiah chapter 51, verse 1 and 2. Yes, go ahead, please. We are reading. Um, okay, can you hear me? Okay. Yes, please go ahead. Yes. Hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord, look unto the rock whence you are hung, and to the hole of the pits when you are digged. Look unto Abraham your father, and unto Sarah that bear you, for I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. Praise God. Thank you so much for that. So, God was speaking prophetically to, um, you know, the Israelites. And this verse is instructive. He says here that, look to, it has, in fact, listen to me, all of you that, you know, full of righteousness. And he says, look to the rock from which we are cut out from, meaning that um, take, a, take a cue from your ancestor, if I put it in, in modern terms, take a cue from your ancestor, take a cue from the person that, you, that is your forefather, all right? And he says, Look unto Abraham, your father, and unto Sarah that bear you. For when I called him, he was alone, and I blessed him and increased him. So if you want to take a, you want to look at an example of, of, of our, uh, of our work, work with God, right, of our faith work with God, a, a very valid example is Abraham. That's what God here is saying. So he says we should look at Abraham. We should look at Abraham's life. We should observe his life. Abraham's life gives us a pattern of our experiences in the faith. When we look at the journeys that Abraham went through, the experiences that he had, it tells us and shows us what we are likely to experience and, and what we are likely to go through. Of course, not in the exact um, events, but the principles will be the same. The principles will play out in our lives. So God said to, to them and says, hey, look at Abraham, you know, um, that is your forefather. Look at the person from whom you come from and you'll learn one or two things. So this is why we're looking... Um, we're studying the, the story of Abraham. We're taking Abraham as our case study. Okay. One more scripture just to validate why we're looking at Abraham. Gen, sorry, not Genesis, Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 to 29. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 to 29. Please, again, if you're there, you go ahead and read. <clears throat> Galatians chapter, Galatians three. chapter 3, yes, from please. verse 27 to 29. Mm -hmm. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. <clears throat> there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Praise God. So it says very clearly that if you belong to Christ, then automatically you are the seed of Abraham and heirs 
according to the promise. So, you know, it just shows how much Abraham is the father of faith, so much such that even when Christ came, Christ had to connect us to the blessings of Abraham, all right? And Christ didn't come to, Christ didn't come to, you know, create another blessing. He just tapped, connected us into the covenant of, of Abraham, you know, praise God. In fact, if you read, if you read verse, verse, verse um, 13 and 14, right, of chapter 3, it says that um, Christ became a cause for us because it's, um, for the Bible says that cause is everyone who hangs upon a tree. It now says, upon a tree, sorry, verse 14 now says, such so that the blessing of Abraham may come to the Gentiles. So all that Jesus Christ was doing was to connect us to the blessing of Abraham. All right, so this shows us that it's important we study the life of Abraham and we we'll see vital principles and, and processes that we can apply in our own journey of faith, okay? So to study the life of Abraham, we're going to read Genesis chapter 22. Um, so right here, I put, I put verse 1 to verse 19, but we wouldn't read all of that. That's pretty much um, the whole chapter. However, we would extract certain verses and bring out some points <clears throat> from, from the verses, okay? But please, I encourage you at, at your own, um, you know, after the Bible study, please go ahead, read the whole of Genesis chapter 1, uh, chapter 22, sorry, from verse 1 to 19. It would help you have a holistic understanding of the text. So Genesis chapter 22, we're reading from, we're going to start from verse 1. But before we start, let me give us a background story, okay? Now, like most of us already know, um, Abraham and Sarah had a delay in childbearing. And God came and he promised, first of all, he promised Abraham that, oh, your seed will be as numerous as the sun on the, on the seashore and as the, um, as the stars in the sky. And your, your seed will possess the nations. In fact, where you are staying will belong to your children generations from now. And Abraham said, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe, I believe, I believe. You know, but it was just taking longer than, longer than expected. So in chapter 21, the Bible now records that finally God visited Sarah according to the word. If I, let me just read it. You don't turn there. Chapter 21, verse, verse 1. It says, and the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in, at his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. So at this point, the fulfillment of the promise had come. Imagine this was a, a this was after a waiting period of 25 years, and they had waited and waited and waited <clears throat> for a child. And eventually their child came in a miraculous manner at an at an impossible age. This was a testimony. This was something to hold on to for the rest of, of their lives. In fact, if if God didn't do anything for Abraham again, this was enough for Abraham to hold on to. Okay. So chapter one progresses, in my imagination, they threw a very lavish nationwide um, um, naming ceremony and dedication. They invite, invited people from across the country. You know, they probably streamed it on Zoom. They, um, they would think about it, all the delegates, guests from different countries, because Abraham was a wealthy man. So this is my imagination. All right, and after the whole festivity and feasting, Abraham, finally I have his son taking care of this child you know, bringing him right, sending him to the best school, um, having the best doctors, everything was going smooth. Until one day, it seemed as if God, God, I mean, I, if I was the one, I'd imagine, I'd be, I'd be thinking in my head and say, God, what, what is your agenda? You, 
what is what is really going on so let us read verse twin um verse one rather so genesis chapter 22 we'll read verse one and verse two all right so follow my story and it came to pass after these things that god did tempt abraham so before i continue um the king james version uses the word tempt um but it doesn't mean tempt in the way we we contemporarily understand temptation to mean all right if you read other translations you see that um, it means try or or test. Okay, so tempting is not tempting to temptation. Or, sorry, it's not tempting to iniquity or tempting to sin like we typically understand it. How how do I know this? Because the book of James lets us know that God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does He tempt anyone with evil. All right. So the word used here in King James, tempt, doesn't mean temptation to do evil. It means testing and it means trying. All right. So let's read it again. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt or God did test Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, behold, here I am. And he said, take now thy son, thy only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell you. If I was the one, I would just start saying, I rebuke you, Satan, get thee behind me. I silence every voice of the devil. That would be my, that would be my next statement. Because look at this. I mean, this can almost pass for the voice for what Satan would comfortably say. Think about it this way. You've been praying for a job. Let's say you finished school um, some five years ago, all right? And you've been praying for a job, praying for a job, applying, 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 and miraculously after five years, you eventually get employment into a company that you really love, an international international company, right? Um, and they gave you the role that you want with the salary above what you want. They now added a car and they gave the car to you and they said, this car is free. Even if you leave us the next year, you, you go with the car because your pay grade allows it. And you are finally comfortable. In fact, you've already imagined that for my salary, I'll be paying my tithe. I'll be giving to ministries. I'll be helping the poor. Your motives are genuine. You are enjoying. You're just one year into the, into the job. And one day, God now comes and speaks to you. Maybe he comes in a dream and tells you to leave that job. Tell me the truth. What will be your reaction when you wake up? The first thing I'll say is that I know that it was the food I ate last night. Maybe the Eban Egusi soup that affected my dream. I don't believe it, you know. Because of, of if it, it looked contrary to what had been going on, right? Remember again, this was what Abraham had prayed and waited on God for, for 25 years. And then God wakes up, or Abraham wakes up one morning to the voice of God, telling him to go and sacrifice his son. Look at the specificity of the, and description of the son, you know? Because again, remember that at this point, Abraham had already had Ishmael. And Ishmael was, Ishmael was his son. So look at what God said. Verse 2, let's take verse 2 again. And he said, take now thy son. If God had stopped here and I was Abraham, I would not going to take Ishmael. I wouldn't even think twice. I'll take Ishmael, go and sacrifice him and I've obeyed God. Didn't he say, take your son? Ishmael is my son. There's no big deal. I fulfill all law and righteousness. But God didn't stop there. Look at what God said. Take now thy son. He now says, thy only son, Isaac, Think about it. It's like God saying, leave your job. Unless as you had maybe like side businesses, you would have just said, okay, maybe God is saying I should leave this business. God now calls the name of the company. Leave your company. 
AB, ABC company. And then he says, take now thy son. He says, thy only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest. Uh, we're going to come back to that, to that phrase, whom thou lovest, right? But just take a mental note of it. He says, and get thee to the land of Moriah, offering for burnt offering and, and all of that. You know, so first thing I want to say is, is this. At several points in our work with God, our faith will be tested by a requirement to give. Okay, remember we're talking about the practice of giving as a spiritual exercise. And before I continue, let me um, explain why we are focusing, you know, on on this. Right, you know, it's there. There are various contexts in which we can discuss the subject of giving. We can talk about the types of giving. Who do we give to? When do we give? Um, tight offerings, prophetic giving, um, sacrificial givings, and all of that, right? That's a broad study. But for the purpose of this Bible study, I want us to focus on the practice of giving as a spiritual exercise, meaning how giving helps us to grow spiritually. Remember what we've explained before, that um, an exercise basically is, is an intentional practice that enables you develop your muscles or make your body system better all right and every muscle you you exercise develops right your 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 abs right your six packs uh become six packs because you work on them because you develop them your arm muscles become um thick and and bigger and, you know stronger because you develop them so every time we exercise ourselves in a particular area we develop in that area so spiritually one of the areas that we exercise ourselves that and in turn helps us grow spiritually is in the area of giving, okay? So for the purpose of this Bible study, we're focusing on giving as a spiritual exercise. There are other um, contexts that we might not explore in this topic, okay? So this Bible study is not an exhaustive Bible study on, on the subject of giving. We are just narrowing it down to see how God works with us to stretch our faith and exercise ourselves right, so that he can find expression more and more through our lives. All right, so back to what I was reading on screen. Yeah, it says, at several points in our work with God, our faith will be tested by a requirement to give. And usually it will be something we love and cherish, okay? Whether it's a possession, you know, maybe your car, your house, your phone, your, I don't know, your TV, anything, anything you cherish, it could be that. Um, it could be opposite, or, or it could be your relationship, or it could be a relationship, all right? Uh, maybe you are used to being in a company of certain kinds of people, and then God begins to require you to let go of that kind of company. Or maybe you have a, a very rich um, family member, you know, or you have someone that is in a position of authority, maybe the managing director of a bank, you know, and then you, you, you are looking for a job. And you can easily just talk to him and he'll give you a, a job by the next week. But God tells you, no, let go of that relationship in that sense. So let go of, of the rights or, or let go of the privilege of that relationship to request for a job. And God says, don't do it. So that also is considered, considered as giving. So giving is not limited to only material, physical things, all right? So think of giving as letting go, you know, um, letting go. If you think about giving in that way, you see that giving extends beyond just tangible things or material things that you can touch and feel. Letting go includes letting go of certain relationships that you've held onto. For some of you, maybe someone listening to me right now or later on, you know, online, 
You might be in a relationship with someone and God is saying, this person is not the person for you. And he's nudging you to let go of that relationship. But you tell him, God, I've invested so much. I've waited so much for a, a, a life partner. And I thought this was the one. And you're telling God how much you've invested. And God is telling you, just let go of it. Okay? For some people, it might even be a job. Or just like the example I've been giving. Some, it might be a business, you know. I know, a, okay, yeah, for, for some other people, it might be ministry. And as, I was going to say that I know a, a woman of God who started, you know, a ministry and it was thriving. It was doing well. They were holding conferences and it was really impactful. And at one day, you know, as she shared the stories, one day God told her to stop holding that kind of meetings. And it was almost at, you know, what we call at the peak of, of, of the success of that ministry. But God said to her, stop this kind of meetings. And somebody wondering why, but we are, at, we, are, we are hearing testimonies from people. We are, we are getting feedback, good feedback. People are talking about how their lives are changing, how they are serving God more and more. Why should we stop this? But God can tell you to let go of it. And it's also possible for someone like that to be attached to, you know, the, to the idea of ministry or job or career or whatever it is, all right? You know, but like, it, like this example, and she eventually let go of it in obedience to God. And the next, when she let go of it, God, later on, God gave her another assignment to do. And then it's, it is really catching fire now. So the point emphasis is that God can ask you to let go of anything, whether it is tangible or intangible, all right? And remember, I told you to make a mental note of, of the phrase, whom thou lovest. So in verse 2, when he says, um, take now thy son, thy only son, whom thou lovest. Many times God will request us to let go of things that we, we love or we are attached to. And you'll notice that, and this is a pattern with God, you'll notice that when God asks you to give, right, the, the sacrificial giving usually wouldn't be the things that you don't like. If, for instance, you, um, let's say you have, out of, you have several shoes, okay? It is the most likely, the, when God wants to test your faith, right, in the area of giving, he will most likely demand you to give the, the pair of shoes that you actually love. Probably you just bought them two weeks ago, you know, on Amazon, and you really love them. You are you've been thinking of rocking them to your friend's wedding next week. And then God comes suddenly and says, sister, give that shoe out now. And when those moments come, when you have to give the things that you cherish, then it is a test of faith. You ju just you just need to know that, all right? It is a test of faith, okay? I remember there was a time when, <clears throat> maybe this was 2015 or 16, I don't remember what year exactly, but anyways, one day I was just praying, praying and then God impressed my heart to give my phone. And it was my only phone. It was not that I had two phones. <laughs> it was the only phone I had. I, so I started wondering, like, God, what am I, so, okay, if I give my phone, how will somebody reach me? How will they call me? But anyways, after much, after much thought about it, I decided I agreed. But not just that, he said, asked me also to give a pair of shoes as well. And guess what? The shoes he wanted me to give were the shoes I actually really loved. You know, and he wanted me to give both of them to someone. So eventually, packaged them, you know, like, like the scripture says, bind the sacrifice to the altar. You know, there are times when you have to force yourself to give because your flesh doesn't want it. So that was one of the cases for me. And I eventually give, I, sorry, I eventually gave and, um, and, you know, God obviously blessed me. Um, so there are times when God would, would demand you to give what you really love. When those moments come, just know that it's the test of your faith. Okay? So that's the first thing I wanted to point out. Again, let me read it out. At several points in our work with God, our faith will be tested by a requirement to give. 
Usually it will be something we love and cherish, be it possessions, relationship, job, business, ministry, whatsoever. Before I move on from this point, please let me give a disclaimer. God will not ask you to leave your husband or your wife. Or, so that, that doesn't fit into the things God will tell you to leave. To leave, rather. Please let me just say it out there. God will not tell you to let go of your husband or your wife. It is clearly indicated in scripture. So in case anyone comes to tell you, you know, I've just been praying recently. I've been going through a pruning process and God says, I should leave my husband. It's a lie. The person didn't hear God. You know, God, the person comes and says, God is leading me to leave my wife so that I can, you know, advance in life. It is a lie. The person didn't hear God. He heard the devil, right? So God wouldn't ask you to leave your, your, your marriage, all right? Um, or leave your spouse or your husband. Okay, so that doesn't fall under the category of things God will ask you to let go of. Hope I'm clear. Oh, please, nobody should say the head God say something that God didn't say. All right. Next point I wanted to bring out is God may instruct us to let go of what, what was once a testimony. All right. Let me take that again. God may instruct us to let go of what was once a testimony. Now, in the case of Abraham, again, I, I really like you to imagine this, please. Just imagine this with me. Abraham and Sarah waited for a child for 25 years. They prayed, they waited. In fact, they got to a point where Abraham said, said to God, Lord, I'm already getting old. Is it my, my servant that would inherit my, my possessions and you know take the things after me? And God assured Abraham and said, no, you are going to have a son from your own loins, a son that your wife would bear to you. You would not have to adopt or give or um, or give some a, give your wealth to someone else. All right. And when eventually Isaac came, this was a huge testimony. By every standard, it was a huge testimony. In fact, the fact that Sarah at that age could carry a child for nine months and deliver without CS, without complications, without you know any problem, it was a testimony by every standard. In fact. So much so that Isaac, the meaning of Isaac is laughter because Sarah said, now God has caused me to laugh and everybody that hears it, hears this testimony will laugh with me. Okay, so it was the birth of Isaac was a testimony. However, a point in time came when God was asking Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, even though Isaac was once a testimony. And this is what you need to set in your heart. That sometimes God will ask you to let go of what was once a testimony. So you believe God for a job, for instance, and like, like my, the example I, I gave earlier on, you waited for five years, you eventually got the job you wanted in the company you wanted, more than the salary you even thought of, and you've been enjoying this job, and after some time, God comes to you and says, leave this job, and I want you to not, don't work for a year, just be with me. It doesn't make sense, because this is something you've prayed for, this is something God probably gave you scriptures of assurance that you're going to get it. And eventually you got the job. Now God is coming back to tell you to let go of what he gave you. You need to understand that God has the right and the authority to do that. In fact, he has the right to give, the Bible says, and he has the right to take. And if we submit, if we have submitted our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, what that means is that Jesus Christ is Lord over our lives. Lordship means he can demand from us anything at any time. Even though, what, even if what he's demanding from you was once a testimony, was once something you, you believed him for. Do you get that? All right? So let's say you were, you were saving, for, saving up to buy a car and you were praying and trusting God for provision to get a car. And eventually God gave you a car. God can 
come and ask you to give that same car out to someone, even when you do not have a replacement for it because he's Lord over your life. And again, when things like this arise, just know that this is a test of your faith and of your trust in God, all right? So don't consider it to be absurd that God would ask you to give what he even gave you in the first place. Don't consider it to be absurd that God will ask you to give what you once celebrated. Imagine, just think about this now. Imagine Abraham might have, imagine that Abraham might have come to, you know, his church and probably shared a testimony and think about how it have gone viral on YouTube. In fact, they would have captioned it, elderly couple gave birth after 25 years of waiting. All the popular blogs will carry it. All the popular Instagram handles will carry it. It will trend on YouTube. It will trend on Twitter. Hashtag what God cannot do does not exist. It will trend, okay? And then imagine after this testimony, global testimony, God now comes and tells Abraham to give up what was once a testimony. Abraham would have thought and said, but God, people have celebrated this testimony with me. What would they say? Um, I've shared this testimony in church. What would people now think when they come to my house and say, ah, uh, you testified of your, of your new car. Where is the car now? You know, Abraham must have thought about all of that, but he considered obedience to God more important than what people say, of course, and any other factor that could have been there. All right, so just to have it at the back of your mind that it's possible for God to instruct you to let go of what was once a testimony. And if those moments ever arise, do not hesitate. It is a test of faith. Okay, so next thing I want to point out um, from this story is that our willingness to let go reveals our trust in the giver and not the gift. Again, let me say that. Our willingness to let go reveals our trust in the giver and not the gift. Okay, we're going to read Hebrews in a moment, but let, let me explain this. Now, God had promised Abraham that it is from, your, from Isaac that the nations of the earth will be blessed. It's from Isaac, your offspring, right, that, you know, you, these promises will be manifested. When I told, when I told you that um, you will occupy the earth, you'll be as numerous as the stars in the, star, in, the star, in the sky, sorry, and as the sand on the seashore, when I gave you that promise, it was going to come through Abraham, it was going to come through Isaac. So Isaac was the seed of promise. Okay, God had revealed that to Abraham. But God now, God came back and told Abraham to give up Isaac. That was the, was the major factor to the manifestation of the promise, all right? And Abraham was willing to do that. Why was Abraham willing to do that? Because Abraham trusted the God who gave, I, gave him Isaac more than he trusted Isaac, all right? So imagine, for instance, back to my example, this person that got a job, let us say you got a job now, again, after waiting for five years, you got the job you finally wanted, and God revealed to you that he was going to change your financial destiny with this job, that through this job, you will never lack, your family will never lack, through this job, you the, the, the income you get from the job will be used to establish businesses all around the world, and eventually you become a multi-millionaire in dollars, and you know, all of that, and you've believed God and says, yes, this is the job and you are holding on to it. And then God comes and tells you to let go of the very job he has prophesied and has spoken about. For you to be willing to let go of that job, it means you trust God more than you trust the job. Do you get what I'm saying? It means that you trust God who gave you the job more than the job that was given to you. And this is super important because this is one of the things that 
um, that giving does to us. Giving expresses our trust in God, not the gifts. So somebody has money, but he's holding tight to the money and he doesn't want to give the money because give out, give out from the money because he feels the money is not enough. You know, I, I mean, you, you might have been in such situation or probably had someone in such situation where the person is required, I mean, God is leading the person to give when what he has is not even enough in the first place. You know, if you are willing to give in such situations, it shows that you trust God more than you trust the money that he gave you, more than you trust the job that he gave you, more than you trust that connection that he gave you, all right? And this is genuinely the test of faith. God always wants to be your only source, okay? And many times he will test your faith to see if you genuinely trust him above the things that he has given to you, all right? And let me say this, sometimes in might be holding him too tight and not allowing him to um, fulfill his call and his purpose, the, um, the call, his call and his destiny and the purpose that God has, has put, in, put in his heart, all right? He might, sorry, she might be holding, she might be holding him too tight, not letting him to do that. And her fear is that if he begins to go out, you know, travel and go on trips and do the things that God has asked him to do, that she, she's afraid that she might lose him, all right? But God comes and says, no, let him go. Allow him to do what I've sent him, sent him to do. And if she's willing to, do, to let him go in that sense, then it proves that she trusts God for her needs and trusts God for every other thing that she would have gotten, right, you know, or that she was, she was scared of losing, rather. She trusts God more than the husband that God gave her. Does that make sense? Do you get what I mean? All right, so in different um, contexts, this could play out. And our willingness to let go reveals that we trust in the giver, not in the gift. Okay, so let's read Hebrews chapter seven, chapter 11, verse 17 to 19. Hebrews chapter 11, please read if you are there. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 to verse 19. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 to 19. Anyone that is there should please go ahead and read for us. 11, 17 to 19. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Okay, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises of God was ready to sacrifice his only son, to whom it said, Through Isaac, your descendants shall be called. For he considered it that God was able to raise Isaac even from among the dead. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. There's the word your translation used that I like. It says, Abraham was ready to... Please read that verse, um, verse 19 again. There's a way it puts it. I like it. Okay, so he considered... So he considered... No, no, sorry. sorry. No, verse, verse 17, not verse 19. Verse 17. Okay, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested... Offered up Isaac, and he who had received his promises was ready to sacrifice his only son. Yes, thank you very much. Since everyone was, was ready to sacrifice his only son, you know, 
then Abraham must have known something that inspired or that made him ready. Because think about it, it is humanly illogical to sacrifice your only son. If Abraham had 10 sons, he would have said, okay, no, no problem. You know, at least I have nine more if I give one. But Abraham had only one. For him to have been willing to give the only son he had, right? That's his only, the only son yeah, he had from, from his wife, Sarah. If he was ready to give his only son, Abraham must have reasoned something that made him ready to do so. And that is what verse 19 tells us that Abraham had considered that, well, if I sacrifice Isaac, then God is all-powerful. He can bring Isaac back from the dead. And eventually the promise will still be fulfilled. Because of that consideration and that trust he had in God, he was ready to sacrifice Isaac. What that shows about Abraham is that even though God had told Abraham that it was through Isaac his seed will come, Abraham still trusted God to bring to fulfillment his, the promise he made to him, even in the absence of Isaac. And Abraham trusted God, not just in Isaac. The danger with a lot of people is that they end up trusting the gift rather than trusting the giver. And many times, even in our finances, right? So for instance, someone is looking for a job and God eventually gives the, gives the person a job. Okay, the person gets employed in a wonderful company or maybe starts a business and money begins to come in. It is very easy to begin to trust in the money or in the job that's, that is paying you rather than still trusting in God for your finances. Okay, meaning that when God, for instance, comes and tells you, let's say in a particular month, God tells you to give all your money for a particular cause or give all your money to a particular person or, you know, give it out to whoever he wants you to give it out to. It becomes difficult because, I mean, think about this. We're, we're taught to plan. We're taught, we're taught to, um, to, to do, draw a budget of our wants, our needs, our, our savings, expenses, and all of that. And then God comes and says, all your salary, everything, give it out. At that point, if you don't trust in God as your provider, it will be extremely difficult for you to do it. And it will be difficult because you've begun to trust in your, in your job as your source of income rather than trusting in God as your source of income. Do you get that? So God is, is our ultimate source, right? He uses different channels to bless us. Your job, your business is a channel, but that is not the only channels God can use to reach out to you. So we shouldn't get into the trap of trusting in the gifts so much that we are not willing to let it go when God requires it of us, all right? And this is why giving as a practice is super important because it makes sure that we, it ensures we still sustain a heart of trust in God, the giver, not just in the gifts, all right? I hope that's clear enough. Okay, so before I continue, just want to make sure you guys, everyone is following me. Give a thumbs up, drop in the comment. I am following you. I, can, I am with you. I hear you. I am blessed. Um, this makes sense. Give me a thumbs up. Let me just know you are with me right now. Okay, thumbs up, thumbs up. I see thumbs up. Who else is giving thumbs up? Um, who else, who else, who else? Okay, thumbs up from, okay. Okay, good. Okay, yes, I see thumbs up. All right, all right, good, good. All right, so we're together. Okay, great. So never forget that um, that our willingness to let go, remember what I said by letting go. Letting go doesn't only mean um, tangible substances. It also refers to intangible things. Your, your Some relationship that God may, may require of you to let go, um, some 
people that he may say, you know, stop associating with or some, it might be a business or whatever it is, right? God might require you to let go of certain things and it is in your interest to let go of those things. It shows your willingness. It's rather it shows your trust in the giver and not just in the gift. Okay. So the next point here is this. Every time, and, and all of this, we're, we're drawing lessons from Abraham, Genesis chapter 22, okay? Every time God asks us to give, it is a test of trust. And trust is the crux of our relationship with him. I, I believe I, I must have already explained this in different forms, you know. Um, but let me just state it clearly again that every single time God requires us to give, you know, when God says, hey, um, you know, you just you, you just got an increase in salary, okay? Now, your first month of increase, I want you to give it out or give it for whatever reason. God, that, that request to give or that instruction to give is a test of trust. Every time we give, it shows that we trust God. That is the real summary of it. The people who do not give, the people who find it difficult to give <clears throat> are saying indirectly that they do not trust God. Because what that means is, for instance, someone is, um, God is leaving someone to give, um, to give a certain amount of money. But a person is saying, if I give this money, how will I now survive? You know, how will I cope if I give this money? But God is saying, trust me with what you have. Remember the story of um, the 5,000 that Jesus Christ fed, how he fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, right? The five loaves and two fish came from a little boy, like people probably say a little boy's lunch, all right? Um, it came from a little boy. The boy was willing enough to trust Jesus with what he had, even though what he had was, was, was meant for only him. And if he had given it out, there would be nothing left for him anymore. But he was willing to trust Jesus Christ with it. And at the end of the day, we see a multiplication. So every time, <clears throat> excuse me, every time God asks us to give, it is a test of our trust in God. So just think about it. Is there a time that God has asked you to let go? Maybe, um, <clears throat> maybe you're in a workplace and you know you are you are you're keeping certain circles, right, of powerful people in, in the office because you just want to make sure that, you know, you are, you are secure. You want to make sure that someone has your back and you want to make sure that, you know, when promotion comes, nobody, um, they, don't, they don't forget you. And, you're, you know, you're being strategic. You put it that way. You know, I'm just being strategic about my relationship. But if you ask yourself genuinely in the honesty of your heart, you will see that you're actually keeping that relationship because you just want to be able to, you want to be considered for certain positions in the office. And then God comes to you and says, you know what? I want you to distance yourself from this person. What God is doing is, is asking you to let go of that relationship. And his, his, his instructions to let go of that relationship is a test of trust. He's saying, do you trust me enough to let go of the relationship, right? And still believe that I will promote you in that office. Do you trust me enough that even if you're, even if you're not sucking up to this boss or to that person, that you will still get promotion in that office and you'll be elevated? Anytime, anytime God asks us to let go, it is a test of trust. So I, I pose this question to you, you know, what is that thing that God is currently letting, asking you to let go of? It may be a job, it may be a business, it may be a relationship. In fact, for some people, you are holding on to that relationship simply because you think, you know, I'm already getting old. If this guy, 
if, if this guy leaves me or if I leave this guy now, I, I don't know who will marry me. I'm, I'm already advancing in age, all right? And because of that fear, you are holding on to a relationship that God is asking you to let go of it. What God is saying is, do you trust me enough to still provide a spouse for you even when you let go of that relationship? Do you trust me enough to still settle your destiny even when you let go of this person that you've highly held in, in you've held in high regard, all right? So every time God asks us to give, right, and, and by, by giving, I mean letting go, it is a test of our relation, of our trust, rather, in God. And like I said, trust is the crux of our relationship with God. Everything we do, our dealings with God is anchored on trust, what we call faith. How much of trust do we have in God, right? It determines our intimacy, you know, with, with God, all right? Okay, so let us proceed. And I said here that if God asks you to give your only son, it is because he wants to be your only option. Think about this for a minute. Why, <clears throat> excuse me, why would God ask Abraham to give his only son? You know, or in, my, in case of my example, why would God ask someone to to leave his only job and not work for a year? Why would God ask someone to take such amount of risk? It is because God has one obsession and his obsession is to be your only source. God's obsession is to be your only option. God's obsession is to be, your, to be the number one person in your life. If there's anything that God is obsessed with, is to be number one. So when God tests your faith by asking you to give your only son, and only son here means something that is precious to you, something that is dear to you, something that you, you, you are attached to, right? When God asks you to give in that, in, that, in that manner, it is because God wants to be your only option. God wants to test your heart and make sure he is your only option, all right? Again, this means that God doesn't require, God doesn't instruct us to give out of wickedness or out of a desire to see us lack, definitely not. But when God asks us to give it, he wants to discipline our flesh so that our flesh recognizes him as the only source, all right? And that is why you see people that have worked with God, they have gone through low moments of their lives where there was no other alternative except God. And they stopped with God in that, in that season of their life. So much so that when God even promoted them and blessed them and gave them, you know, all the things that, that we admire externally, those things didn't move their hearts because already God had been established in their history as, as their only source. So whenever God asks you to give your only son, it is because he wants to be your only option. He wants to manifest himself as the only option. And the, just as the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he says, every other thing will be added. What that means is that the moment God is your number one option and your only option, every other thing that you were chasing will automatically be added to you. So this is part of the reasons why God asks us to give because he wants to make sure in our hearts we are his only option, all right? You know, the moment you begin to trust, see, the moment you begin to trust a connection with somebody, eh, God, in his mercy, God would, God would do something to that connection. He will shake the relationship so that it's, it's, you guys begin to drift apart. And God is doing that as an act of mercy because when your heart begins to lean on other things aside on him, it becomes a trap. And then you begin to make that person or that thing an idol in your life. 
and, and God doesn't share his glory with anyone, all right? So God wants to make sure your heart is intact and you retain him as your only option. So he will ask you to give. If you begin to see that you're attached to, you're attached to your phone so much, you love, you just love be, having the latest gadgets. If God, if you, if you work with God, God will begin to deal with you in that area. And one of his primary dealings will be for you to let go of that thing that you are so much attached to. Because at the end of the day, God wants to be your only option. Please don't forget this, all right? God wants to be your only option. In all, all the times God asks you to give, it's not because he, he needs what you are giving. No, it's not, because, um, it's not because he wants you not to have. No, 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 no. But he wants to make sure that your heart is focused on him as your only option. The moment God has successfully set your heart on him as the only option, there is nothing on earth that God cannot give you. Because God knows that that thing will not be an idol in your life, all right? But when he sees that, ah, small money now, you don't need, like we said in Nigeria, you don't need proud, you don't need carry shoulder, you lift shoulder up. Small money, you're already looking down at your security man, looking down at, at the people on the street, looking down at everybody. God would, God would, if you are working with God, you know, you are not rebellious, you are working with God, God would deal with you in such a way that he will shake the source of that money until you remember that God is the only source. Then, she cannot begin to, you know, increase you. So please do not forget that. All right, let's take a look at verse 12. There's something I want to point out in verse 12. <coughs> so remember we're reading Genesis chapter 22, verse 1 to verse 19, which is pretty much the whole chapter. And like I said, I encourage you, please read the whole chapter to give you, um, I mean, in the light of all we've discussed, it will give you a better understanding to the events that occurred, all right? So while we're reading verse 12, there's something I want to point out from there. Verse 12 says, um, oh, sorry, I'm in Hebrews. Please, Genesis chapter 8, please read for me if you are there. Genesis chapter 22, verse 12. Genesis 22, verse 12. If you're there, please go ahead. No one there. All right, let me read. And he said, Lay not your thy hand upon the lad. So at the background story, um, Abraham had taken Isaac to the altar to sacrifice and all of that. And then just about when he was going to strike, you know, the child, God stopped him at that point. You know, what that means that in Abraham's mind, he had already given up, sacrificed Isaac. So the good, the deed was as good as done. All right. So verse 12, and he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad. Neither do thou anything unto him. He says, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thy only son from me. God says that now that you are, you are willing to let go of this treasured possession or this treasured person, this your testimony that you waited for years and held onto. Now that I see you are living, you are letting it go. You are willing to let go. He says, now I know that you fear me. The word fear there means reverence. And that's why I said our obedience in giving is one of the clearest expressions of our reverence for God. You know, many people say, oh, yes, I fear God or I honor God. I, 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 so, you know, when you hear some people talk about God, it can almost make you feel like you are not even a Christian because they'll say, I love you, Lord. Before they make two sentences, they're already crying. They say, God, I love you. You know, I'll do anything for you. I don't I, any, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do this. I, I just want to stay in your presence, which is great, which is fantastic. 
But the proof of your reverence and your love and your fear for, of, fear for God is when he asks you to give. When he asks you to give that thing that you really, really love. Let's say for someone, he's, he asks the person to, uh, to relocate to a different state, a state that might not be as um, you know, bubbly or as active or as metropolitan as his current state. And then he says, Lord, this one is a hard thing. Oh, Lord, I, I, but I'm serving you in this state. I am still doing, I'm still worshiping you, still serving you. Why do I need to go to another state? When God asks us to give or let go of something that is dear to us, it is an opportunity to prove our reference and our love for God, all right? So I said here that our obedience in giving is one of the clearest expressions of our reverence for God. It is easy to say, I, I love God, I fear God. You know, like they say, talk is cheap. It is when the test comes that we we'll genuinely know. And don't, don't say God, but you know I love you. Yes, God knows you love him, but prove it in your actions, all right? And that's, that's what happens when we submit and we yield to giving. Okay, so verse 16 to, to 18 now, <clears throat> I read. Now, at this point, um, you know, God began to make promise to Abraham and all of that. So let me read verse 16 to 18 quickly. And so God said, by myself, I, 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 by myself have I sworn, said the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and has not withheld thy only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thee, as the stars of the heaven and as the sun, which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of thy enemies. Verse 18. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. I want to bring out a very important point, and I, I, I think a lot of, you know, what, what we call new generation Christians might easily miss out this important aspect, Okay. So look at verse 16 again. And said, by myself, say by myself, I sworn, says the Lord, because thou hast done this thing. God was attaching the blessing to a reason. God did not just say, you are blessed, you know, freely. He said, because you have done this thing. What is that thing? Because you have let go of what I have asked you to let go. He says, because you did that, I will bless you. And God began to pronounce blessings upon Abraham. What I want pointing out here is that God didn't just bless Abraham in this at this point for no reason. There was an action that stayed of this declaration of blessing. But I also want to point out something to you, and we won't read all the scriptures now, but read, and I put here in the slide, go to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. You will see that at this point, God came to Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, yeah, verse 1 to 3. God came to Abraham and just on his, Abraham was on his own, God came to him and said, leave your father's house. I will bless you. I will make you a, a great nation. Um, I'll, I'll make you a great nation and I'll bless thee. I'll make thy name great. Thou shalt be a blessing. I'll bless them that bless you. I'll cause those that curse you. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Look at this blessing and compare it with, um, with what we just read in, in verse 16 to 18 of Genesis chapter 22 you'll find out that there's a lot of similarities in the blessing that God released. However, in Genesis chapter 12, there was no action that warranted the declaration of blessing. God just spoke the blessing over Abraham. But in chapter 22, God now said, because you have done this thing. What this means is that even though there was a potential blessing resting upon Abraham's life, 
Abraham's obedience in giving activated the manifestation of that blessing. That's what I'm trying to point out. So yes, it is true that we don't give because, I mean, God doesn't bless us because God blesses us from out of his love for us. That is absolutely correct. But the manifestation of the blessing will not come unless we yield in obedience. And many times the obedience is in the area of giving. I hope that's clear enough. So the way I put it in slide here is that obedience in giving activates the manifestation of God's promises to us. God had already promised Abraham to be the father of many nations and all of that. But that promise was not yet activated up until Abraham obeyed God by letting go of Isaac, all right? And God declared, pronounced the blessing upon him. So I said here that our giving legalizes the occurrence of God's promise in our life. So our giving give, gives God a, a legal right. And, and how do I know this? The Bible says, because you have done this, meaning if Abraham had not done it, God would not have testified, right? But God said, because you have done this, so Abraham's action legalized the occurrence of God's promise in his life. Let me say, ask you now, is there something God is asking you to let go of that you are not letting go of yet? It could just be that the next level God wants to take you to, he can't take you to that next level until you let go of that thing. Whether it's a fiscal possession or a relationship or whatever it is that God is asking you to let go. All right. Could it be that you are not entering that next level in your life because um, God, you haven't let go of what God is asking you for, um, asking you to let go. Because remember, when you let go of things in accordance with God's will, right, it legalizes the occurrence of God's promises in your life. All right, so we are wrapping up um, soon. And I want to read, I want us to read Mark chapter 10, verse, ah, Mark chapter 10, verse 17 to 27. So we might not be able to read the whole, whole verses. I'll just point out some things. But let us turn to Mark chapter 10, verse 17 um, to verse 27, Mark chapter 10. Background story here has it that <clears throat> there was this young guy, very, you know, very energetic, very zealous. He came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus Christ said, um, you know what? Obey the Lord. Um, thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not kill. Do not defraud anybody and all of that. And the man said to Jesus, I have all these things you said. You see, see me like this. All these things you said, I've been doing it day day. I've been doing it right from when I was a, a, a child. And guess what? Jesus did not dispute that statement, meaning it was actually true. Meaning this guy had religiously kept these instructions and commandments right from when he was a child. So just Christ eventually just Christ looked at him and if I the way the Bible puts it is that just Christ loved him. He looked at him and said, Ha, there's only one thing that is left. So let's look at that one thing. Now, Mark chapter 10. Um, we let us go to verse, verse 21. Mark chapter 10, verse 21. All right. Then Jesus beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, one thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and take up your take up the cross and follow me. Verse 22. And he was sad at, at that saying and went his way, and went away grieved, for he had many possessions. Meaning, when Joshua is told him that there's only one thing, there's only one thing that is lacking, 
Hmm? And the only thing that is lacking is your possession. If I just can analyze his life and say, you've been, you've been, you've been, you've been a man of integrity, you've been diligent, you've done all things. The only thing lacking is in the area of giving. So we have to deal with that. Take everything you have, go and sell it to the poor, then come and follow me. And the Bible says the man became sad. Why was he sad? Because he had a lot of possessions. Then Josh Christ made a statement, a statement in verse 23. He said, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And he, the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? So Jesus Christ was not saying that the, God just wasn't saying that rich people cannot enter the kingdom of God. No. He was saying that it is difficult for people that trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. And this is super important to know, right? Because, you know, you, you must have heard people that people say things like um, money is the root of all evil. That's not true. It is the love for money, the inordinate affection for money that is the root of all evil. And some people have misquoted this verse to say, oh, the rich cannot enter the kingdom of God. That is also not true because just Christ clearly said here that it is those who trust in riches that will be, that will be, um, that will find it difficult to enter into the kingdom of God. That means the real issue here, and just like I put on the slide, the real issue is trust. God doesn't have a problem with us being wealthy. The problem is when we begin to trust in our wealth, whether wealth in possessions, wealth of connections, wealth of education, wealth of whatever, all right, when you begin to trust in your, uh, in your own sufficiency and abundance, that is where the problem lies. And this is why giving as a spiritual exercise is super important because giving, giving strips us of, of dependence and trust in, in ourselves or in our, in our possessions, in our connections, or in anything that is, that is not God. When we let go, when we give, it strips, strips, us, strips us of those things that we have relied to hitherto, all right? So giving is super important as a spiritual exercise for us, right? So again, trust is the matter. Remember I said trust is the crux of our relationship with God, all right? So when we give, we, we, we show that we trust God, all right? Let me, let me run quickly. So next I said here that every time you give, the part of your flesh that craves control and possession dies. Let me tell you, inherent in everybody is a part, part of the person that wants to that wants to be in charge, that wants to control, wants to, you know, be self-sufficient. But every time you give, that part of your flesh dies. And the more the flesh dies, the more the Holy Spirit finds expression through your life. And if you are observant with your own life, you will notice that every time you yielded to God in giving, you find out that you just, your relationship with God became better for some reason. It is not as if you necessarily started praying more or you started reading your Bible more, but your intimacy with God increased because of that act of obedience and letting go, all right? So the more your flesh dies, the more the Holy Spirit finds expression through your life. All right, so we are um, concluding with this discussion, and I really want us to share our thoughts, right, in this regard. And this is a question for us. I would really like to hear your answers. Has there ever been a time God asked you to let go of something, right? Again, whether a possession, relationship, career, job, business, whatever it is. Has there ever been a time where God asked you to let go of something, you know, and then how did it feel before, how did you feel before and after you obeyed? So how did you feel before you obeyed? How did you feel after you obeyed? 
All right, so it is time for us to discuss. Let me read a question again before I, I stop sharing my slide. Has there ever been a time God asked you to let go of something, okay? Whether it was a relationship or let God let, ask you to let go of a possession, maybe give out a car, give out a, a phone, give out a wristwatch, give out a shoe, give out whatever it is, all right? How did you feel before you gave, right? When God asked you to give, how did you feel? And then how did you feel after you obeyed? Please, I would love to hear our, our responses. So I'm stopping my, yeah, my sharing so I can see us very well. All right, so please, the floor is open. Feel free to share with us your experiences. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Thank you so much for today's teaching. Thank you, Pastor Victor. Okay, so I, I mean, I've had different instances where this is Toby Love, actually. I've had different okay. instances where I've um, I've been given sort directions and I've had, you know, different experiences with them. But this particular one, I failed to share because it was something I wasn't expecting. So I was a coordinator for a conference that was happening. And mm -hmm. at some point during the conference, someone, one of the participants was really very, you know, rude and disobedient and all. And I just ignored her because I'm like, okay, just be on your own. Then mm -hmm. the conference was rounding up and I saw her, you know, running after me and trying to stop me from moving forward. And I'm like, and what's going on? She comes to say her God has convicted her and she's expected to drop the shoes. She watched the conference with me and all of that. I'm like, I don't understand. Where did this mm -hmm. come from? Like, I know people say this, but I mean, I'm not even a pastor. I'm not even one of the ministers. Like, what's my own, you know? Mm -hmm. And she dropped it. But as she was dropping, dropping it, the Holy Spirit said, these shoes are not for you. I will tell mm -hmm. you who they are for. And immediately mm -hmm. gave me the name of the person. To be honest, I didn't try the shoes because... First of all, I, I didn't even see myself wearing them, even though they were really, they look really expensive and attractive. But mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, I don't get this because first of all, I mean, I go home and every, everyone in my house is like, ah, now wow, even with that, we are pastors here, we did not receive <laughs> gifts, you know. And as I was just meditating on God, how does these things happen? The girl, he said I should give it to, walked into the room and I'm like, hi, what's your shoe size? And she said the exact size of oh. the shoe that I was giving. And I'm like, oh, okay, wow. it just pays to listen because I honestly did not even check the shoe size. I just went back to check the shoe size and realized it was hers. So first, mm -hmm. I mean, I think it came from the point of listening immediately and not having to attach, you know, self, what was it called? Self-identity to whatever is given. And, yeah. and I think that's another lesson from one of my mentors. I mean, she goes to ministers and all of that. Once she gets the gift, she doesn't take them in immediately and is willing to share with everybody. She just leaves it and says, I need to hear clearly who this gift is for. It's not mm. all the time the gifts are for me. So until I hear clearly who it's for, I may not be able to, you know, share whatever it is or even touch it at all. So that for me, I mean, was was really, really significant. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tulawa, for, for sharing this. Um, and what, what you just shared really demonstrates the importance, like you said, the importance of listening and acting promptly. All right, thank you so much for that. Okay, who wants to share his or her experience next? Um, you know, a time when God asked you to give you, and then you you obeyed, you know, and how did you feel before and after? Yes, Joy, please go ahead and share with us your experience. Okay, good evening, everybody. Um, 
my experience, one very profound experience I had was um, after my NYSC. So after my NYSC, there's this um, salary. I didn't even know that they were that they normally pay um, double the salary or something like that at the end of NYSC or something like that. So when the salary came, it was so exciting because towards that time, God had been telling me that he didn't want me to work immediately after NYSC, just go back home and relax. So when the money came, I was so excited that at least ah, it goes well with what God is saying. I mean, this money is for me. And God asked yeah. me to give my last NYC salary. And I said, okay, that means he's talking about um, the last one. I should divide it into two. And that's what it's supposed to be. And God, yeah. and God kept convincing me that he's talking about the last salary I get. And it was so sad for me at that time because I really did not have any other money. That was like everybody was depending on that last salary that was coming. And I literally cried when I was giving the money because ah, what is all this? What am I supposed to do in the next uh, how many months that I was not going to be working? And then, but then I also had in mind this, this mindset that when you give, like God's going to give you maybe with 40,000 you give, he's going to give you like 100,000 next week or something like that. So it kind of encouraged me to give. But funny story, nothing, like nothing came. Like I didn't get anything like after giving that money. And, but one very interesting thing that I learned was that it's not necessarily trade by butter. Like you said earlier, yeah. it's about trusting him. And mm -hmm. everything you need I had was met, like to the mm -hmm. tiniest detail, like every single need I had was met. Like people were looking out for me. People would be asking me, ah, you don't like shopping. You should actually get new clothes. And I'm like, ah, where's all this coming from? So it was not even about money because I was literally um, living in what I'll call cashless abundance. So at no <laughs> point did that money come back into my account throughout mm -hmm. my waiting period until I got a job. At no point did that money come, but I never lacked any single thing. And that was mm. a time where like, I learned to put all my trust in God. And I think that experience was very important for me because it has now helped my other experiences. And it doesn't matter to me when God asks me to give money. Like I'm not even expecting any money to come back to replace the one I gave out. I just know that he cannot let me lack, mm. you know, so it just helped my, for me, but like what I learned within that period was to trust him if he says to do this then he's definitely going to take care of me within that period so that's it for me awesome thank you so much this is so so profound you know i like the fact that when you said you you know you, the, you had the mentality of god was going to give you back you know but eventually nothing tangible in that sense came but for you it was the, it was a matter of trust so that experience helped you build trust with god and of course god being a, a rewarding god took care of your needs for that season very powerful. Thank you so much. Um, one more person wants to share his or her experience, you know, an experience where God led you to give and you obeyed, you know, what was it like? Hi, good evening. Hi, good evening. Okay, so uh, mine is similar to the last person's experience. So it was money and it was church. So someone called me randomly one day in church that they were doing a project that they wanted to donate to buy something for the church. So when they yeah. broke down the money, I was like, ha, I don't have this kind of money, please. I'm not sure I'm meant to be the ones that you guys are supposed to be reaching out to. But, um, okay, I just kept on postponing, postponing, postponing. One, one time I just, let me just drop the money and forget about it. So I actually dropped the money and I, just, I, I used it to pray for something. 
actually when I dropped it because it wasn't an easy, it wasn't very easy to get. So when I mm-hmm. dropped it, I didn't pray for money back. I'm like, okay, good. I'm, I'm using this to pay for this and, and that. And honestly, this has been like five or six months and I, I've even forgotten that I dropped the money. It's just now that I realized that, okay, I actually dropped money for something and the things I actually prayed for are actually working gradually. Like, it, it took me a while. I had actually forgotten about it. Until recently, I'm like, oh, well, this is something that I prayed for, which I actually yep. tied to this money that I dropped. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm seeing the mm-hmm. results now. And yeah, it, it, it's just very good. I mean, at, at the moment, it seems as if you won't survive without the money, but you will like yeah. to. Yeah. Next, so, yeah. That's it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much. Okay. And I took the last thing you said, you said at the, at the moment, it might feel like you cannot survive without that money, but eventually you find out that last, last, like they say in Nigeria, we go there, all right. Meaning you'll be actually be fine. Most times it is that, you know, you'll never know how attached you are to a particular thing until the day God asks you to let it go. And then it will dawn on you that all more are really been attached to this thing, right? So thank you so much for sharing your experiences. Um, well, far out of time, I, I wish we could take more, but we have to conclude right about now. So I'm just going to share my screen to sh- to um, share the concluding um, concluding part. Okay. Um, so extra thoughts for us just before we before we go. Obedience is better than sacrifice. I know we're talking about giving, but I want to emphasize that. Obeying God is more important than having a sacrificial or giving something sacrificially, all right? And you can find that in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. What that means is if, for instance, God is asking someone to go and serve in a particular community, that God is asking you to go to that community and serve um, physically in that community, but you tell yourself, "Uh, no, no, you know what? Let me just be sending money. Let me just send money. Okay, don't worry. But just hundred thousand every month. I'm sending to that community. At least I'm sending them money. It is not the same thing as obeying God. So your sacrificial giving cannot replace your obedience to God. All right. You cannot. You cannot. You cannot bribe God into. You cannot bribe God into changing his mind about his instructions concerning your life. If God says go left, go left. You giving a sacrificial seed doesn't change God's instruction. Um, concerning going left, all right? So I just want to put that clearly. So no, you can't play games with God, pretty much. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Your giving is most powerful in the direction of obedience, all right? Um, second thing I said here is that your giving should be regulated by the Holy Spirit, not sentiments or and emotions. And this is very important. You know, what God rewards is your obedience. He is not your sentiments. And let me say it also to balance all that we've said. There are times when God, someone might come to you with a need and God is not leading you to meet that need. You must be comfortable, comfortable enough to say no when God is not leading you in a particular direction. For the simple fact that it is not every need you can meet. You don't have all the money in the world. You cannot meet every need, all right? Number two is that it is not everybody that God is leading you to help. In fact, the Bible tells us clearly that it is not every widow. That there are so many widows in the, at, at that at the time of Elijah, but it was only to one widow that God sent the prophet to. There were so many other widows that Elijah could go. If Elijah could have gone around and said, out of my compassion, oh, these widows are suffering in this time of famine. Let me just go and be doing miracles in their house. 
But God didn't send him to every widow. He got sent him to only one widow. If he was doing philanthropy and compassion without the leading of, the, of God, he would have just, we would probably wouldn't be hearing the story by now. All right. So follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, not sentiment. Also, don't let people deceive you into sentimental giving or guilt trip you into giving. No. Always follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Um, next is, God doesn't measure the value of your giving by the quantity, but by obedience and sacrifice. God doesn't measure the value of your giving by quantity, but by obedience and sacrifice. Meaning that if God wants to, wants, if God is going to applaud you for giving, he's not looking at how much you gave, right? So in the eyes of man, um, you may give a hundred thousand naira, right? And then they'll say, oh, wow, you're giving a lot. But God can say, this person has not given. In the eyes of man, you may also just give 2,000 naira and God is proud and God, God is happy and says, yes, this person has given. But some may look at you and say, ah, it's just 2,000 naira now. What is that? So God doesn't measure giving by the quantity. He measures giving by obedience. In fact, sometimes God will ask you to give, let's say, just give 5,000 naira. You have more, more than that. You have, you can do a lot more, but God just says, oh, give 5,000 naira. He measures your giving by your obedience and by the sacrifice, all right? If you read Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 to 4, is the story of the widow who gave just the only coin she had. And Jesus said she has given more than every other person that gave. Currency-wise, they gave more than her, but in the eyes of God, she gave much more than others, all right? So please don't feel bad if what you have is, quote-unquote, small. Don't let that stop you from obeying God. If God says, give somebody 500 naira, if it's 500 naira, give the person the 500 naira. Don't think, and say, oh, but it's just 500 naira, is releasing anything. Let me wait till I have like 5,000. No, obey God with what you have, and then you grow progressively, all right? And then lastly, I said here that your heart comes before your gift. This is super, super important. And we're concluding on this particular thought that God first looks at your heart. God first accepts your heart before he accepts your gift. If you read um, Genesis chapter 4, verse 3 to 5, the story of Cain and Abel when they brought their sacrifices to God. Let me just read that quickly. There's a way the Bible puts it. Um, uh, please bear with me just one more minute. Um, verse, verse, verse 4. Verse, um, verse 4, yes. And Abel, he also brought of the first first links of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his sacrifice. This is it. He says that God had respect to Abel and to his sacrifice. So God first looks at your heart before he looks at what is in your hand. Do you get what I'm saying? Meaning if someone is living outside of alignment with God, the person is not working with God, he's just living carelessly. But there the person comes, to, comes and claims to be giving offering and paying tithes. You cannot bribe God to ignore your careless living only because you are bringing money. What, what, I mean, God is, not a, God is not a politician. God is God. Do you know what I'm saying? So God first looks at your heart. Is your heart intact with him? Is your heart pure with him? In fact, that's why the Bible says that when you are giving, if you remember that you have a, you have, like we say it in, in, in the world, if you have beef with your brother, put your gift aside, go and settle that beef in your heart, that's in your heart. Then you come back and give, okay? Because God is more... God is more um, focused on your heart than what is in your hand, all right? So remember, your heart comes before your gift. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus.
So we're going to stop right away. Um, I hope you've learned one a, a thing or two. And um, yep, God bless you. Okay, so let's pray. Let's say a word of prayer as we conclude. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for today's Bible study. We thank you for the things that you have taught us. Thank you for the expressions of your spirit. We ask Holy Spirit that you guide us in this journey of faith. And every time you prompt us to give, we receive the grace to obey you so that our flesh can be tamed and your spirit can find greater expressions through our lives. Holy Spirit, if there's anyone right now that is that is great, is in a season where you're prompting the person to let go of something, I ask that you grant that person grace in the name of Jesus Christ, that they let go of whatever it is you're leading them to let go of so that they can accommodate a higher dimension of your possibilities in their lives in the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you, our Father, for in Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen, amen, amen. All right, God bless you, everyone. Um, um, just before we go, please, is there anyone who is joining us today for the very first time? This is your first time joining us. Um, please just introduce yourself. Tell us where you're joining us from and um, who invited you or how you found out about us. Anyone like that? First time joining us. Please, if you are speaking, remember to unmute your mic. First time joining us today in our Bible study. Please just introduce yourself. Tell us where you are joining us from and who invited you. All right. Is there anybody like that? Anybody, anybody like that? Okay. Nobody like all right. Okay. Um, good evening. Hi, good evening. Yeah, I'm Emmanuel. Hi, Emmanuel. Yeah, so I'm connecting for the first time and uh, it's been a great time learning from you and um, having you analyze the word of God and gain value. Thank God for that. Thank God. So, um, I, where are you joining us from? I, yeah, I'm in Lagos. Lagos. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah, um, God is from a friend, Lord Michel. Lord Michel, okay, great, great. I got it. Thank you. Thank you very thank much. You, thank you. Please, let's welcome Emmanuel in the group chat. Welcome him. Emmanuel, you're welcome to a Bible study. And I um, hope you learned a thing or two um, today. <clears throat> All right, so um, we have a, 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 a group on WhatsApp where we disseminate information easily. So I encourage you to join us. Um, the link to that, I am dropping it right away in the chat just before we go. Let me do that right now. Um, so you can use follow this link and join our group, right? It's where it serves as a community group and um, you'll be blessed, okay? So that's it in group right there. All right, so we meet next week, same time, same, um, same link, same, same time, same link here. Um, so we meet next week. There's something I wanted to announce. I'm trying to remember. Um, okay, great. So please, we're on a drive to, you know, um, get more people to attend Bible study. And if you, I don't know if you, if you read the message I dropped in the group, but if you haven't read the message in the group, please go to the group. I dropped a message today that just shows simple ways to invite a friend. Okay. If you target one friend per week, 
you find out that in a month you've invited four people, right? And in a year you've invited um, for eight people, right? And the group significantly grows. Okay, so want to get more people to hear the word of God. If you've been blessed in any way at any point in time in any of our Bible studies, send a message to someone and say, hi, I've been blessed by this Bible study. You know, come join us on Tuesday or send them a link to the podcast or our YouTube link and, you know, let's get people to join us. All right, thank you everyone for staying with us. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful um, remaining part of your day. God bless you, bye.